So uh, when our younger son Micah turned four years of age, we bought him a big wheel tricycle. I think most of you know what a big wheel tricycle is, but if you don't, here's a picture of one right here. <laughs> Nan said in the first service that the flag was like a warrior flag, you know, for Jesus. So, but uh, it's those are great bicycles. We had so much fun with our younger son, um, Micah, and we take him to Blue Ridge Park, and he'd zip all over the park with a bunch of the other kids in town. But when he was home, he had a hard and fast rule, which was. He could only ride in our driveway. He could never go out in the street. And so he did really, really well for a long time. But one day, uh, I was looking out of the corner of my eye, and Micah was just going pell-mell down our driveway, and he shot right out into the street. Oh, and if there had been a car coming, it would have been a tragedy. So all I remember is I bolted out into the street, grabbed Micah with one hand and his tricycle with the other and took him into the front yard and I put him over my knee and I spanked him rather briskly. And uh, then I stood him up and I said, you will never ever ride your bicycle out into the street, do you understand? And he's sobbing and heaving, yes, I'm so sorry. And, and uh, I'd learned this from my dad. That was the first time that Micah had ever see me like this, where I felt this tremendous righteous anger over, uh, and was kind of a fear also uh, in me about my son. I learned from my dad because when I was 10 years old, my brother and I had a fight, my middle brother Bob, and I threw a rock at Bob, I hit him right in the head, and he crumpled down to the ground, and I mean, I could have killed him, you know, like David and Goliath, you know, it took was just one rock, and, and, uh, my dad came charging out of the house and he first picked Bob up to make sure he was all right. And then he started striding towards me. Yikes. <laughs> and he put me over his knee and he spanked me about four times, five times more than I spanked my son. And I'll guarantee you this, I never, ever threw anything at anybody the rest of my life. <laughs> and I had never seen my dad like, like that. Well, today, we're going to see Jesus as we've never seen him quite before. We've seen Jesus exhorting people. We've seen him kind of straightening his disciples up, but he's going to be fiercely angry in our passage today. And Jesus is only really angry at one kind of people. He's only angry at hypocrites. This is the only place in Scripture you'll see Jesus just straightforwardly speaking directly to someone that he is very, very angry at because they have so negatively impacted his people. The Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees that Jesus is talking about were the main religious leaders of his day. And um, he is going to speak strongly to them. He is going to, in a way that we've not seen up to this point in the Gospel of Luke, directly confront their, their hypocrisy. Now, getting back to the spanking thing, I know it's not politically correct to spank your kids anymore. However, the Bible does say, spare the rod and spoil the child. So that's a message for another sermon somewhere down the road. 
But just let me say this, Mike had never rode his bicycle out in the street again, and I never threw a rock at my brother again, and I don't know, perhaps as some reason why I think this generation, younger generation in our country, uh, just might be a little spoiled at times, and that includes my own family members, and I probably could have done a better job of disciplining, and see, I'm seeing lots of mom's heads agreeing with me. So anyway, so we're going to see a side of Jesus we've not seen before. I hadn't seen my dad like that. Mikey hadn't seen me like that before. And we're going to see a side of Jesus, and I think it's a very healthy sign, uh, this side of who God is, because um, for the most part, we tend to see God only one side of God, the loving, gracious, compassionate, tender, merciful, forgiving God. We see that God. But we don't see too often the God who judges, the righteous God, the God who can become angry, the God who is a refining fire, the God who can consume the dross in our life, the God who exerts discipline to your life and and to my life. The God who not only made heaven, but he's made hell. And we don't see this God as much. We don't sing about this God as much. And we don't preach. I don't preach about this side of God as much as I think is probably that we should. But I wanted to read, uh, talking about discipline, my dad disciplining me and me disciplining Micah, I wanted to read out of Hebrews a passage about God's discipline and how important it is. In fact, without God's discipline, I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 12. Without God's discipline, um, if you've got a pew Bible, you can turn to page 1009. Without God's discipline, none of us would be where we're at. It is through the hard things that God changes us. It's not when life is going well, we're just sailing along. We don't change. But we change when God reaches down and he sees it's time for us to move out of some pattern, some habit, some sin, some weakness. God then will exert his discipline. And in Hebrews 12, I think I'll put in at, at verse, uh, let's see here, 5. And it says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So not only is the discipline coming, but we're not to regard it lightly. We're not to say, oh, this isn't such a big deal because it is a big deal when God disciplines us. And don't be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have, have to endure God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who have disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Subject to what? Subject to his discipline. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good. Why? That we may share in his holiness. So the refining fire of God burns through our lives and refines us and changes us so we become more like Jesus. That's sharing in his holiness. And without holiness, 
No one will see God. We're, we're made holy, we're found holy in Christ, but the sanctification process requires that God disciplines us. And we've gone through, all of you have gone through heartbreaking, devastating, crushing times where maybe you weren't even quite sure you were going to make it. But in the midst of all of it, in the pain, and even if the person or persons involved were causing you wounding and troubles, God was in the middle of it, changing you, shaping you, forming you, making you more like Christ in the midst of the most difficult, most trying, the most devastating times of your life. God is right in there. No matter what man does, no matter what Satan has done, God will take it and work it out for what? For good. And he works it out for good in making us more like Jesus. We're more like Jesus as we go through the refining fire. And I've, I've shared this example so many times, but because I'm in the Sawdust Art Festival, this is the one I always use, which is a goldsmith, when he uses gold, you don't get gold just naturally. You have to take unrefined gold and plunge it into a kiln, turn it up to around 3,200 degrees and burn the dross off, and then you put the tongs out and the gold is pure and beautiful. And what God does is he refines us in the fire of afflictions and we change. And we might groan and struggle and yell and cuss and scream and do all of that when we're in the middle of it. But when we get to the other side and look back, we can go and say, God's done something good, even though it was terribly difficult. Do you know what I'm talking about? You all have been in trying times. And I'll tell you, God was right there with you. No matter how heartbreaking, no matter how difficult, God has always been, he will never leave you. He never runs the other direction. He never forsakes you. This is just the way God is. He makes us more like himself through his refining fire. So the discipline of God is so important. So we see this side of, of God, and we're going to see this side of Jesus today uh, in, our, in our passage. And I don't know if I just said this or not, but I just will repeat it again. Jesus never speaks to anybody like he speaks to the Pharisees. Jesus can endure and take it just about anything. He can endure and he can't take self-righteous hypocrisy. He can't take it. Jesus hates it. Do you know God hates stuff? He hates it with a righteous, righteous hatred. He hates hypocrisy. He hates those who purport to be one thing and are something else. So here's our passage. This is not a love, you know, most of my messages and Jeff's messages, these are cozy, fuzzy feeling messages we give a lot of the time. This is not one of those messages. All right, we'll just like warn you ahead of time. So our passage is from Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54, and uh, it all starts off rather nicely in which Jesus is being invited to a Pharisee's house for lunch. You think, well, that's going to be a nice afternoon, probably. Not so. Uh, Luke 11, 37 to 54, this is a compilation of three or four different uh, Bibles that I've taken to make the clearest possible reading that I could for you. Verse 37, as Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee invited him to lunch, and he went in and sat down at the table. And the Pharisee became offended when he noticed Jesus didn't wash his hands 
before the meal. Wow. The Pharisee became offended that Jesus didn't wash his hands. Now notice what Jesus is going to say. He isn't going to say like, uh, I wasn't very nice of you to say that. He's going to say, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup, but inside you are filthy, full of evil and wickedness. Wow, what a nice thing to say as you just got invited to lunch. <laughs> you clean the outside of the cup, but inside you are filthy and full of evil and wickedness. Fools! Didn't the Lord make the inside as well as the outside? And this is the beginning of our text where Jesus is going to emphasize the inside, not the outside. It's not your outward actions that are important to God. It's what's going on on the inside that's important to God. Didn't the Lord make the inside as well as the outside? Verse 41, clean the inside. And then he gives one example of how you can begin to clean the inside by giving to the poor and you will be purified. So right away, I mean, Jesus is like heading for Jerusalem. The cross is not that far away and he's just going to speak directly to the people who are going to end up crucifying him. And this is the beginning of that, uh, the most more serious dialogue that he's going to have with them. So that's the first section of our text. Our second section is what's kind of known as the famous three woes. He's going to speak to them on, on three different levels. He says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you're careful to tithe even from your garden, but you ignore justice and the love of God. Again, you tithe from what you have outwardly, but inside there's no justice, and you're not feeling, and you're not experiencing, you're not living out the love of God. Second, verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. And the Pharisees would prance around and they'd walk around the synagogue and in the marketplaces and throughout town and look very, very spiritual and very righteous. And the third woe, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves with people walking over them, not knowing the corruption underneath. Wow. I see Peter French shaking his head like, I wouldn't like anyone talking to me like this. All right, our next section, it just keeps getting worse. Some of your Bibles will say a lawyer, but really the Greek text is a mosaic scholar or a scribe. Responded, verse 45, and said, Teacher, you insult us too. <laughs> no kidding. You insult us too in what you are saying. And Jesus said, woe to you, scribes, as well. You crush men with stifling rules and regulations. Again, Jesus talks about their, the outward stuff going on. You stifle men with rules and regulations, but you completely ignore them yourselves. Woe to you. There's a fourth woe here. For you build monuments to the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. Sheesh. Not only that, and you give approval to what they've done. And this is what God in his wisdom said about you. I will send prophets and apostles and they will be persecuted and killed. Next slide, please. Thus, this generation will be held responsible for the killing of God's prophets from the beginning of time, from the murder of Abel to Zechariah, who was killed in God's house. Woe to you, religious scholars. You do not embrace the knowledge of God yourselves, but worse, you present, prevent others from entering. There's not anything you could quite say worse than what he's already said here. 
And now they're going to respond. You think they can say, oh, thank you so much for what you said. <laughs> Hardly. Next slide. As Jesus was leaving the Pharisees' house, the Pharisees and scribes were enraged and began provoking him with questions on many subjects. They're trying to catch him. They're plotting against Jesus, hoping to seize upon something to accuse him. And then I put down, just for my own sense of humor, the clearest compilation translation. I took the best out of the New American Standard, out of the Message, out of the Amplified, and the New Living Translation, just to give you the clearest translation I possibly could. So, wow, this isn't the Jesus with a little halo around his head, you know, and, and just meekly like being nice to everybody. This is not the Jesus. This isn't the real Jesus that when people talk about Jesus in that one way. Jesus has a fiery, righteous spirit in him. He has the spirit of the prophet. And you know who a prophet is in any place, in any church, any city, any wherever? prophet is someone who will speak no matter what anybody thinks. They'll speak directly to an issue. doesn't matter if they're popular or unpopular. In fact, they'll say stuff that's not popular sometimes. And that's what you see in the prophets in the Old Testament. And Jesus is a prophet and he's a king. He's a king and he's a prophet. And he's speaking here as a prophet. And the prophet directly speaks God's heart to an issue and pulls no punches. He pulls no punches. He's not nice. He's not nice. God is not always nice, everybody. God's a, God is a nice God, but this, this, this isn't nice, what he's doing. This is directly confronting what God most despises. Self-righteous, legalistic, hypocritical religiosity. He hates it. He doesn't like it in the lives of those leaders, and he doesn't like it uh, in our lives either. Now, I think it'd be safe to say that we can all agree with what Jesus said about those Pharisees and scribes that, that, yeah, they're legalistic and they're hypocritical and smug and arrogant and all of that. But before we just think about them, I think we should maybe think about ourselves. Like, do you and I have any kind of hypocritical traits in us? Do you and I sometimes exhibit attitudes of a Pharisee, even though nothing as strong as this, but before we just like point the finger at them, how about you and how about me? You know, I, I love it when, I love it when I give a message and people come down and say, oh Jay, what a, what a fantastic word you just brought today, or what a great message, you know, and I go, oh, thank you so very much. It's just God, you know, it's, it's just God. It's, you know, and I, I feel so good inside about that. It's a little bit of a Pharisee in me. I, I, I like to be well thought of. That's probably, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run some traits of what a Pharisee is like. That's probably a, right up there at the top of my weaknesses. I, I, I like to be well thought of. I like, I like the praises of men. I like people to go, oh, yeah, Jay's a pastor and doing it for all these years. Yeah, when he sees really something. <laughs> I like all that stuff. Wait a second, he got my overhead up too quick. Dang. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
So, 10 signs that I'll be kind to you. I'll soften the message. 10 signs you may, you may be becoming a Pharisee. First sign, you are more inclined to see what is wrong with people than what is right. First sign of a Pharisee. They always look to find what's wrong with someone. And I find this in a lot of my interaction with people, with, in counseling and prayer appointments, say with a couple, they're always, one side is always pointing out everything wrong with the person in the marriage, and then I ask them, well, what about you? Oh, no, I'm doing really good, but it's just all her fault, or all his fault. Isn't that true? It's always somebody else's fault. You're more inclined to see what is wrong with people. That's the first thing that you see instead of what is right. Secondly, you judge or criticize others for exactly what you do or what you used to do. That's a sure sign of a Pharisee. In fact, you are most likely, you're most likely to see your own faults in somebody else and you actually do what they're doing, and then you criticize them instead of criticizing yourself. So I was at the Angel game with, my, with Micah, who was now 39 years old, and his son, Dylan. We were at the Angel game two weeks ago, Monday, and there was about eight 21-year-olds sitting behind us, and they're like loud, and they're cussing, and they're drinking beers, you know, and they're coarse, and they're obnoxious. Oh, and I'm just going, oh, God, there's 60,000 seats. And then I'm saying, why are they sitting here? And I even turn around and snapped at one. I said, what's your language? There's a nine-year-old little boy here. And then I sat there and I went, I was exactly like that when I was 21. It's exactly how I was. I was with my buddies horsing around, making a lot of obnoxious noise. It's exactly how I was. What, what, what am I doing? Number three. You love to look good, to be noticed by others, thought of as important. I already mentioned this one. On Friday night, I was walking out of the Sawdust Festival, and, and a friend of mine was going to introduce me to uh, a friend of his. And he said, hey, Jack, this is Jay Grant. He's, he's one of the pillars of the Sawdust Art Festival. I thought, whoa, I'm one of the pillars of the art festival. <laughs> Wow, that's a, never anybody ever referred to me as a pillar. I want that on my tombstone. <laughs> oh, the Pharisees I just, I just charged up in me. Oh, that sounded so good. Yeah, I like to look good. I like to look good. How am I looking today? Am I looking okay? <laughs> like to be noticed by others. Like to see my name in the paper. I like to get interviewed on the radio and all that things that go on because of where I am at the sawdust. I like all that stuff. I'm watching the and Sunset Drugs and, and the fellow in there that filled my prescription says, hey, I heard you on the radio. Uh, it's so cool what you're saying. We were, it was a promo for the sawdust before the summer started. And Oh, yeah, I was on the radio. It's pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> well, you're unable, number four, to accept criticism. You're unable to be corrected. And you're defensive. <clears throat> Why is that? Because you always think you're right. That's what a Pharisee is. They always think they're right. So they can't accept criticism. You've got to be wrong. You can't criticize me. I refuse to be corrected because I'm always right. And they're defensive because they can't stand to be pointed out that something might be a little bit off in their lives. Number five, you often complain 
criticize and find fault with others and the church. You just look to do that. <laughs> How do I say this? So, uh, wasn't the worship great this morning? But Chris, Chris, why are you wearing Levi's and got no shoes on up there? I don't get that. <laughs> Jay, uh, why, why couldn't you like uh, put some shoes on? I, I got flip-flops on here. Like I don't really like Jay wearing flip-flops when he's preaching. What can I say about Jeff? What should I say about Jeff? Jeff's such a good teacher, but he needs a haircut. <laughs> oh, he needs to talk about somebody else besides C.S. Lewis or Chesterton. <laughs> yeah, you got to find something wrong, you know, like uh, all the good things Jeff does and all the good things Chris does, all the good things about our church, but we always got to find out what's wrong. That's a Pharisee in us. We all have a little bit of Pharisee in us. Might as well just come right out and say it. All of us have a little bit of a Pharisee in us. And what this is this morning, this is a message of assessment. To look at this list and see, hey, where can I improve? What, what, where, maybe I haven't really realized, but maybe one or two of these like hit home. Not one or two hit home for me, like all ten hit home for me. All right, number six. You rarely ever need to feel... You rarely ever feel a need to repent of personal sin. Why? Because, well, if you're self-righteous, you don't sin. It's everybody else that sins, not me. And the Word of God says that you're a liar if you say you have no sin. Do you know that, First John chapter 1? Not only are you a liar, you make God a liar. It says in verses 8 and 9, you make God a liar if you say you have no sin. And that's what, you can't repent from sin if you don't think you have sin. And that's a sure sign of a Pharisee pointing out all the problems with somebody else and not of themselves. And if you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your life, that's the first step. The first step to becoming a Christian is realizing that you have sin in your life, that you have failed in your life, and you need to repent and turn from that sin, asking Christ into your life, because what he's done on the cross forgives that. That's the first step to becoming a Christian, is realizing, hey, I've messed up in my life. Is there anybody here this morning who's never messed up? Of course not. We've all messed up. We all need to be forgiven. And this is the first step to becoming a Christian, is repenting from your sin. Number seven, I can't hardly even say it. All your... Christian friends look just like you. <laughs> All your friends look just like you because Pharisees, they exclude everybody else. They just, they're just friends with those who look like them. They, there's, they, they measure other people. They have standards for other people. And if you don't measure up, you're not a part of the club, not a part of the clique. That's, gosh, I don't want anybody to look like me, really, tell you the truth. Number eight, you're self-righteous and condescending. You act hyper-spiritual. So probably of all of them, this number eight, uh, when I was a young pastor back in the 70s, this probably was the one that most identified me. I, I wanted so desperately, because I, I came out of Calvary Chapel and I was a young pastor, I, was, I so desperately wanted to look good, you know, and be thought of as a good pastor, even though I was only one or two years along further than the people in the congregation. And so... There was a period where I spoke every Sunday for 12 years, every Sunday. I was a young pastor, 
that's like over 600 messages, and I had to come up with a message every Sunday. And so like, I'd, I ran out of messages after about three months. <laughs> and so what I'd do, I, I would read the latest interesting book, you know, and I'd listen to tapes by Chuck Smith, Hal Lindsey, Bob Mumford, and all these people I liked. And I'd find these nuggets, you know, and these, and these interesting things that they were teaching, and then I'd, I'd create a new message for the next Sunday, and it'd be mostly what they said. But I would never say, hey, Chuck Smith said this, or Hal Lindsey said this. It just looked like I said it, you know, and I purported myself to be something that I wasn't. I was speaking as if this was my words, and like I had all this superior knowledge, and isn't it cool everybody's listening to this, and, and uh, how, how amazing that I keep coming up with these messages like this. Number nine. You are legalistic. You live by rules. You think going to church makes you right with God. I had to throw that one in because there's a few people who think if you just go to church, then you're right with God. It's all you have to do. But really what number nine is is performance-based Christianity. You just keep trying to prove yourself and you're living by rules and regulations and and you're very strict about your life, so strict that you like suffocate the life of Jesus that he wants to infuse through you because you're legalistic and all of us are bent towards performance-based life because we always have been called to perform. Our parents called us to perform. Our teachers called us to perform. Our coaches called us to perform. Our employers called us to perform. Our spouses called us to perform. And we tried so hard and we just worked so hard That's not the Christian life. That's not true spirituality. It comes on the inside. Jesus living through you, and you don't have to work hard for God. You can just receive from God who he is and what he does. Number 10, you wear a mask. This is the defining defining mark of the Pharisee. You wear a mask. You, what you are in front of people is not what you are away from people. What you show people on the outside or here at church or in town is not who you are, what you are at home. And my wife was here in the first service, and I thought she was going to amen it when I said that I'm not, what you see here is not the way I am at home all the time. <laughs> but she didn't. She was so kind in the first service not, not to do that. She should have, actually. So I'm going to end this message, and then Jeff's going to get up and do communion, and he's going to soften everything I've just said. <laughs> but big Mike back here. Mike, just step forward in the red shirt right here. I'm going to share a video that big Mike is singing in. It's called Your Mask.